first story deals with a subculture of heavy metal music that some feel is sending a dangerous message to your kids. The forces of evil on the dark side of devil right. And I want to talk tonight about the devil and demons and witches and wizards. And we just mix it up with hardcore and aggression and come out with something that we face an original sound. Loud, fast, heavy, you know. Well, what do you got? What do you got? And welcome back to another episode of Riff Worship, where we talk all things the riff. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. I'm joined with, as always, by Sugar Grove's own Austin Paulson and this schmuck from Louisville, Justin Swindle. How are you two guys doing? Been a minute since we've been, I wanted to say in the room together, but in a... Uh, <laughs> in ah, it's been a week. Room. What are you virtual talking about? Room. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been a week. Ain't shit changed. Yeah, we have had a couple interviews that were a lot of fun, but yep. we're back to our same old shit, talking about <laughs> some records. Back on our bullshit, as back the on. kids might say. <laughs> You're so hip. And I've got some, uh, and I have weighted us down with some shit from 20 years ago, multiple, multiple albums in the queue. Yeah, there's a, this is a big year. A lot of yep. anniversaries coming up. I'm big, sure we'll big touch year on- for Dill. We'll touch on that probably a little later in the show, but, uh, you know, kind of touching on our uh, interview with Nick Shangelis. Yeah. You know, this nostalgia that is is everyone's feeling all this n- nostalgia that's coming up. Uh, you know, a lot of albums turning 20 this year, especially the record we're talking about today. Pretty crazy. Kill Switch Engage's End of Heartache. Um, metalcore classic at this point. Um, it's not quite old enough to buy beer yet, but it's getting there. Um, it's got a fake ID, probably. It, it's probably. got a fake ID. You know, if you're in the metalcore, you got a fake ID. It, it, I, it I swipes a it swipes a couple from uh, the dad's liquor cabinet for sure. <laughs> it has a 21 year old friend that buys it beer. It it stands it stands outside and asks like random people. Like, <laughs> you know, this is uh, speaking of 2004. This is like this is the era of hoodies with the thumb holes in them. Uh, toboggans with the bill on it. Uh, people were wearing blazers. Everyone wanted to look like Bam Margera. Uh, for, everyone was wearing audio skate shoes. Hardograms everywhere. Hardograms. Unless you were, uh, you know, a chubby kid that lived in rural Arkansas uh, with bleach blonde hair. And you were kind of in a transition of who you wanted to be for the rest of your life. And you discovered some records. That sorted it out. What happened to that wide-eyed kid? Um, well, a lot. <laughs> and this record kind of starts with it. Um, 2004, big, big year uh, for Dill. Um, I'd been listening to music pretty regularly uh, for the couple years before that, but for whatever reason, 2004 hit, and um, all these great records that came out from these underground bands that were getting a lot of attention uh, new metal was dying. If your name wasn't Slipknot, you weren't shit. Um, and we've referenced that in a couple episodes before. Uh, we had a great conversation with uh, Nate from uh, Spirit Adrift about that same topic. And um, the year of 2004 had, good Lord, uh, five to six releases that were major, major albums for me uh, that I can put on and almost know them note for note, word for word. And uh, this is no different. Um, you know, this was a band that was all over Headbangers Ball at this point. 
was all over like Hit Parader, Metal Edge magazine, uh, some early issues of Decibel magazine had them in it. Uh, and this is a band that did all the things that could attract somebody that was just starting to get into really heavy music. And it's palatable. You know, it's, it's catchy. Uh, it's a good gateway record. And uh, my question is, you guys had just heard this probably for the first time recently. Yep, 100%. This was not my introduction to this band. Right. I remember hearing the, like, the Holy Diver cover on the mm-hmm. following release in like football practices in high school. And, you know, that you guys are what, like four or five years older than me. So that was probably yeah. the record that a lot of the kids that were my age probably heard for the first time. Uh, but, you know, I could see where these sorts of records that came out around this year certainly had an influence on the next generation of bands that were probably coming out around oh, yeah. that time when I was in high school, for sure. It's definitely a gateway band in that, like you said, it was palatable. It's on everything. They were like featured in so much. They yep. were on the radio. They movies, were movies. It's video games. Bonkers, 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 bonkers shit. This was uh, this was a time of Guitar Hero as well. Let's not forget about that. Uh, but Swindle, my my curse was on Guitar Hero or something. I think. I I think so. I believe you're right. I'm sure I've heard the Holy Diver cover, mm-hmm. but I think my curse was like the only thing by Kill Switch Engage I'd ever listened to before. It's got the Pantera riff in it. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of Pantera riffs on this thing for sure. There, there fucking sure are. Yeah, a lot of them. Like so many, but there's a lot of different influences from Scandinavia to Pantera fucking hardcore a hundred percent. There's like some two step parts, you know, in some of these tracks and everything. But uh, I guess maybe we should begin perhaps with the backstory of this band. The meat and potatoes. Yeah. It formed what in the late 90s, 99 in Westfield, Massachusetts. 1999 formed out of two prior bands, one being Overcast, a legendary early metalcore act, uh, including bass player Mike D'Antonio, as well as Shadows Falls' own Brian Fair. Uh, it also formed out of another project named Aftershock, not to be confused with Kirk Winstein's Aftershock, uh, with what had uh, Adam Dukewitz, I think is how you pronounce it, but it's Adam D and his brother. Um, and then you had uh, Jesse Leach, the singer that had uh, was in a band called Nothing Stays Gold, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. So I don't want to yeah. forget about Joel either. Joel was in Aftershock as well. Joel, Joel was in Aftershock. Yeah, Jesse was in a band called Nothing Stays Gold, which was apparently signed to the label Devil's Head, which Tobias, who is also in Aftershock, with that was like his little label that he ran. Yep, Adam's brother. I think that label also put out a couple records by the Acacia Strain as well. That that would make sense. Uh, they're all from, from that kind of. They're all from that New England area. There's a lot of bands from there uh, that are part of this same like kind of VFW Hall um, kind of genre. Like you had Kill Switch Engage, uh, the Acacia Strain, Unearth, Shadows Fall, All That Remains, uh, Bury Your Dead, um, God Chimera. They're from Cleveland, but you could kind of throw them into that. Um, you know, it's, it was a really incestuous scene too. Like a lot of guys shared members, um, you know, Adam played with, I believe, I believe Adam played with unearth for a little bit, maybe did some drum stuff. He's recorded everybody, uh, from that area, 
But uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't want to stress, I don't want to overlook the importance of Overcast to that music scene. Um, if anybody's never listened to Overcast, they put out um, an album of kind of re-recordings on Metal Blade back in 2008 called Reborn to Kill Again. Uh, but then Trustkill years later, maybe it was when they were under the Bullet Tooth title rather than Trustkill, put out uh, like a compilation of everything that band had done. It's like a three disc compilation from seven inches on up to their full lengths. Uh, check that shit out. A lot of really early sounding metalcore stuff in there. Uh, hell, Overcast played with bands like I Hate God, Ringworm, like in the early, early era. Um, but yeah, Boston. Uh, who knew you would get this type of music out of there? The best Bay Area band, right? Was that, it Boston? There you go. <laughs> it's a bay. It's got lobster. I thought it was interesting. This band took their name from an X-Files episode. Yep. About like a, you know, uh, loose cannon AI computer murdering huh. computer po- programmers. I wonder if that. That did the DSI album cover. <laughs> yeah, it all, yeah, it did the Carrie King one, too. Oof. So, yeah, same thing. Yeah, um, those are rough. Those are rough. It's, looking. you know, these guys are, I know Mike D is a fan of a lot of like sci-fi stuff, comic book stuff. Uh, Mike D is also a pretty proficient and a very good uh, artist in his own right. He's done many album covers for many bands, t-shirt designs. Uh, he did the Sever the Wicked Hand album cover for Crowbar. He did that whole setup. Um his style is kind of reminiscent to maybe Jake Bannon's, but it's still its own thing. Um, he did the artwork for this album. He he did the whole artwork. He he in the re-release they did for this album in 05, he goes into detail of how he did the album cover and everything. Basically, it was done in his closet with some heavy red paint and just a styrofoam heart. Um <laughs> you you work with what you got, man. And I don't know uh what Roadrunner was really putting into the budget back then. Yeah, they got signed pretty quickly to Roadrunner, from what I understand. They did the demo. They did the demo, which is an EP or a full length, whatever you want to refer to it. But it was put out by Ferret Records, uh, which was owned by, uh, I can't remember his name. I think it was Scott, who used to be in a band called Nora. Yeah, Uh, Carl Severson. That's it. That's it. Yep. Uh, It was put out through Ferret, which was a really big deal label back then. Uh, Ferret was a big deal. Trustkill kind of that earlier era of this, of this style. Um, and they got picked up by, uh, Roadrunner records. This is a big deal. Uh, this was back when Roadrunner records wasn't really signing metal bands. Uh, I believe in, I believe Roadrunner records actually made the statement of if this band doesn't work out, we're kind of done with metal bands. Um, and they kind of put all their eggs into the kill switch engage basket. And there's even, even before alive or just breathing came out, uh, in 2002, which is the, uh, debut full length, if you want to refer to it, but it's the first big full length release that this band did. Um, there was a video actually using to promote it for like roadrunner Europe. And it was a funeral procession and it said like new metal on the, the, oh, wow. the tombstone and it was basically the marketing of this album, um, which is funny because I think the album sold like 32,000 copies like total, which is in 2002, uh, a new metal still selling like oh, a million yeah. records first two weeks. 100%. I, lis- I listened to that record 
um, just to kind of get some context on the on the band, because again, I really don't have a lot of right. knowledge. Uh, you know, they've always kind of been there, but mm-hmm. and I kind of have an idea of what they sound like, but I wanted to kind of go back before getting to this record and just see what you know what kind of things were going on. I, I, I there was a lot I liked about it. I had a lot of good riffs. I can definitely see where this record still takes from those early releases of like the mellow death and you know yeah. maybe like some of the hooks and the pop sensibility stuff um but i yeah i like this um i also didn't know that uh adam d was the the drummer for the first couple yes. of releases so yep. it was you know um, interesting to see the shifts in the lineup i believe they came a, became a five piece for this record it was so they became a five piece after the recording of her live or just breathing okay yeah. Because they spent, Joel spent a long time tracking guitars. And as you can hear, there are harmonies all over that album, which is a common thing with uh, this era of metalcore. And yeah, Adam D was a drummer. Um, so one, he's a primary songwriter in the band. Uh, and most of this album we're talking about today is an Adam D record. But back to what you're saying about uh, the Mellow Death influences, uh, just to kind of hit on the uh, Alive or Just Breathing record. Uh, that album came out, and this band toured a lot uh, for that. They toured with some of their influences, such as Soil Work. Um, and, you know, they they basically learned how to tour on that record. Um, going back to how this band formed, their very first show, their very first show, uh, the day they released their fucking EP demo was with In Flames, I believe Moonspell. I think Shadows Fall was on the bill as well. So like, and this was in the, if I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, uh, New England metal and hardcore festival that goes on once a year. Um, but there's a venue in, uh, I believe it's in, I believe it's in Boston. It's called the Palladium and it's kind of the legendary venue in that area of the country. And there's an upstairs and a downstairs. And I believe the downstairs is the really big room. And the upstairs is kind of the smaller room, but they headlined or they opened that bill in the upstairs room. So their first show is at like this legendary venue. Uh, And I, you know, I was thinking about that the other day. I'm sure Mike being in Overcast alone probably got them that show and just how they knew everybody. Um, But when your first shows with bands you're influenced by, it's that's some big shit. Um, But go on to Alive or Just Breathing comes out on Roadrunner Records. Uh, you get two videos released for the album. Actually, three. Uh, you get a video for the tracks Life for Lifeless. Um, let's see. Uh, Fixation on the Darkness, which is a later video. Uh, and then you get a video for uh, My Last Serenade, uh, which are big, big hits off that album. Um, you definitely see... You get a showcase of kind of Jesse's vocals on that record a lot. This is a very big vocal hook band. Um, and Jesse's no slouch, uh, but in between these two albums, you lose Jesse, who is going through uh, depression at that time, uh, had just gotten married, kind of isolated himself on tour, um, and you know went through all the things that you don't want to go through when you're in a heavy touring act like that. And I'm sure this was these were van tours and probably... Um, not even like, you know, a shuttle van. These are probably like conversion vans or something at this point. Um, and he kind of leaves the band in a pretty weird spot. Uh, I think he, I think he resigns via email. Yeah. I read that he had just 
yeah, you know, bouts with depression. Uh, I think, yeah, like just gotten married. Right. And, uh, you know, it's hard. I I've never done it. Couldn't imagine, you know, I've only heard stories from you guys and, you know, kind of packing in vans and, you know, sweating it out with other people in a stinky ass vehicle for days on end with a band like this, you know, with the roadrunner backing, I'm sure yep. just incessant touring, it's going to be difficult. So, uh, but yeah, he leaves via email and, you know, I'm sure that certainly soured their relationship for a bit, but you know, obviously we know a little better kind of seeing some of the album liner notes on the album and, you know, in the future. Yeah. So, I mean, everything, everything kind of worked out in its own way, but you lose your singer. Who are you going to replace him with? Who, who's your vocalist? In walks in. Uh, actually, they had tryouts. They had a lot of people that tried out for the band. Uh, Phil Labonte from All It Remains tried out. Uh, Brandon Chapetti from Bleeding Through tried out. Uh, they were both in bands that were already starting to kind of move up the ranks a little bit. So uh, regardless if they got the position or not, those guys are still going on to play in pretty legendary early metalcore bands in their own right. Um, but in walks uh, Howard Jones of Blood Has Been Shed. Um, Howard Jones, if you if you guys have never listened to Blood Has Been Shed, it's, it's metalcore, but it's really, really... It's pretty aggro shit. Um, it's more of his like kind of bad cop vocals in there. Okay. <laughs> um, like it's that's the only way to describe it because he's like good cop, bad cop vocals, right? Uh, it's it's a little bit more. Um, he's a little bit more Danny Glover in that in that band. <laughs> it's funny you say like more aggro because he certainly came into the picture kind of thinking not to maybe not the highest of this band. Like he didn't really connect with it at first i think over time he's like okay there's some songs in here but at, at you know on first listen first impressions I, I don't think he was like too jazzed about him or he wasn't super impressed by it definitely i'm sure if you came from the background of what that band was um walking into something as melodic as this band is and going okay um this is a whole different book you know we've all done it you know we've been uh we're prone to listen to things that are ex- really extreme and then it's like okay uh can't really get behind this but wait there's one or two songs in here okay this is good shit um but he comes in tries out nails the tryout um tours with the band he records a they end up recording re-recording fixation on the darkness with howard on vocals and they released the music video for it so that was he was actually in the last music video for the or, uh, alive or just breathing uh, album cycle. So you get that. And then you start writing the next record, right? Yeah. I think the, the, one of the first songs that I read that he was on was the, uh, when darkness falls, right? When darkness so, falls, which ended up being featured in the hit classic movie, Jason versus Ray. Yep. <laughs> which uh, is, it is a film. Hey Swindle, man, thanks. Swindle, you watched it right for the Halloween. Yeah. Thank you, Kelly Rowland from Destiny's Child for being in that movie. <laughs> you know, terrible movie, great soundtrack. Yeah, what else is on that? Oh, God, typos on it. Uh, a lot of Roadrunner bands. I think it was actually put out by Roadrunner, uh, which would make complete sense. And a horror movie, when you put it out, 
ideally, the first thing that comes to mind is probably really aggressive music for the fact of it's kind of, eh, they kind of go hand in hand. But if you're Roadrunner Records and you're putting out, you know, a soundtrack, you're going to put your bands that you want to, you know, get the most airplay. And at this time, um, you're going to put a Kill Switch song on there because you got a new record you're about to bump out. And the movie went on to, I think it, it's not a great movie. We can all agree to that. Uh, debuted at number one, uh, which isn't saying much, but again, there's a Kill Switch Engage song somewhere in that. Not only do you have a new singer, but you have some uh, lineup changes as far as drummers. Justin Foley replaces Tom Gomes, who was also in Aftershock, but Justin Foley uh, was in the same band as Howard, right? Yep. Blood has been shed. Yep. Sure was. Um, so, and Justin Foley is a really good drummer. Um, like, Blood has been shed. It's got some off time shit, like um, odd meters, odd signatures, um, the whole nine. And this is, uh, there's not a whole lot of odd time on this record. This is a pretty 4 4 record aside from a couple 3 4 parts. Um, and it is funny because he's a really good drummer. And his drumming on this album is as straightforward as it can be. Like it is, there's, if you really listen to it, there's a couple parts in there where you can hear kind of like some different stylings that he's done. Uh, but it's not, it's really meat and potatoes drumming. Like he's not there to be flashy. He's there just to do what the song needs. Um, but good choice. Like this band had a, this band had a few lineup changes in a short amount of time with, uh, but the, the same four core members have been there the entire time. Right. So yeah, maybe just shifting gears from drums to guitar or whatever. But yeah, for the most part, it seems like all the primary songwriters are in place uh, to make the album sound the way it does and give it the aesthetic uh, that it has. Um, I guess this was recorded in Westfield, Massachusetts at Zing Studios from December 15th of 03 into January of 04. So it was recorded at Zing Studios, which is Adam D's studio, uh, where he has recorded Unearth. Um, I believe he did the Oncoming Storm record for them. Um, he did some Asley Dying records. He's done All That Remains records, uh, so on and so forth. Um, you know, I think this album is also the album that put his name out there of being a kind of big name producer at that time. Um, Yep, they've been able to self-produce most of their records. Uh, I think aside from the self-titled record in 2009, 2008, uh, which was done by Brendan O'Brien. Uh, and even with that record, they remixed it because they weren't happy with the mix. Oh, jeez. Uh, Adam remixed it. Um, yeah, you've, it's, this band is as DIY as it can get aside from the record label backing. Uh, you know, the artwork's all done by the band. The songwriting's done by the band. Uh, recordings done by the band, mixings done by the band. Uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty rare in this era. Um, but stressing the, the fact that this band had a lot riding on them with your vocalist changing, uh, which there are not many bands in any form of music that can change a vocalist and succeed. Um, you know, Back in this era, everybody wanted to mention like Van Halen. Well, okay, but that's apples and oranges we're comparing here. Uh, the closest thing you could probably compare with a lineup shift like this or a vocalist change would be, uh, I guess, George taking over for Chris and Cannibal. 
Like that would be the closest thing to something like this. Um, because obviously with a Van Halen, you're getting more, um, you're looking on the larger scale, right? Like this is not a, uh, Brian Johnson taking over for Bon Scott, uh, because this was such niche music. You're still kind of, um, climbing the hill, I guess. You're not like, you know, ACDC and Van Halen were certainly at, at their arguable peak, uh, when they switched vocalists. But what I, what I did find interesting for, for this to be Howard's first record, and to come in and basically write all the lyrics for the album is, you know, to basically just give him the, you know, the keys to do that is is pretty wild. They really, I guess, were taken by his lyricism and, you know, they're just kind of like, all right, run with it. Do whatever you want. Go for it. Um, you already know what we want to do. Uh, I will say I, the lyrical concepts are different on this record than the record before. I think the record before has a lot to do with um, maybe some more social political things as well as some uh, mental health things going on. Whereas this album is exactly what it is in the title. Uh, This album has a lot to do with, uh, I'm sure, um, heartbreak, heartache. Um, But what I really liked about this is not only did they let him take like, hey, it's your canvas, paint it. Um, you know, we trust you to do what you're going to do. You've toured with us long enough, go out and do it. Uh, but you also get like, this is a pretty dry production. There's not a lot of vocal effects on there. Like, yeah, there's some layers, but they're very minimal. They loved one in particular so much. Where they layer the highs and the lows. They love that radio effect on this record so much. Oh yeah. Um, but what they do though is like the vocals don't have a lot of effects on them. Like there's no like reverb. There's not a ton of reverb. It's not delay. There's not like a lot of filtering on it. Like it's pretty dry. Even the guitars and everything are pretty dry. Um, this, I listened to a podcast uh, recently called, uh, it's called the Meet Meet podcast. It's about all these records being released on Roadrunner throughout the years. And they interviewed Mike D about the album after this as Daylight Dies. And they talked about how End of Heartache seemed almost like testing the waters to see how it would be to write with Howard, right? Like they knew he could sing. They knew he could perform the older songs. Uh, they knew he had the talent, but they didn't really know how to write with them yet. And this was a testing of it. This was almost like, it's not a demo, but it almost feels like a demo the way it's recorded. Like, yeah, it sounds good. Sounds great. Sounds like an 04 production. Um, you know, everything's mixed pretty evenly like you can hear the bass sticking out in it um but it is the vocals are straightforward on it there's not a ton of experimentation with it um they really highlight his vocals too like they're really upfront in the mix on it um i mean it's he does a hell of a job on this fucking record yeah i guess we should just like maybe get into that first track swindle what do you think about uh, a bid farewell the choruses of the song are well, actually, really, the choruses on all the songs, mm-hmm. big. Oh, huge. Like, those are Def Leppard choruses. All the choruses are just like full note chord, full note chord, full note chord. It's like almost kind of like power metal-y a little bit. I was, uh, I thought the same thing. At one point, I was like, is this like, this kind of is like a, it has a very fantastical kind of epic power metal vibe to it, which kind of makes sense that they would cover like, you know, Holy Diver on the following record. But I even thought, and we'll get into this a little later, 
you know, very reminiscent of even some like Joey Belladonna anthrax type of vocal. It's just very like singing full on from like, you know, the diaphragm. <laughs> the or diaphragm. Like, you know, yeah. It, the very, dude's a baritone for sure. Very big. Um, so yes, there is probably not too many songs. If there is one on the record that doesn't have that sort of like chorus in it, which after a while kind of becomes a little formulaic for me personally, but it does work uh, in, in a lot of places. But after a while, like if you listen to it front to start, I'm like, okay, I can probably anticipate this is where this is going a little bit. Obviously there's riffs all over the album, but this one, the first song has like eight parts. <laughs> like there's yeah. like oh, yeah. eight different riffs just in this one song. The first song opens up drum and bass, uh, sets the tone of the record. Uh, what an opening note by Howard. Just that long kind of uh, melodic death metal scream right at the front. Um, you get these. That's a live track for sure. Uh, that is setting the tone of the record. Uh, you're right. There's a shitload of parts on this song. Uh, I mean, the chorus alone has those great harmony guitars that bend there. Uh, it's definitely... It is, there are some pop metal sensibilities on this record. Uh, I think most of the songs on this album are written by Adam. Um, this was a, this album wasn't as collaborative as the Alive or Just Breathing record or even the album that came after as, or, uh, as Daylight Dies. Um, the other guys were a little burnt out and Adam's like, I have six songs. And then was like, I have another two. How about we do this? Uh, and just, that's probably why the album sounds cohesively the same as a lot of the writings him, um, you know, I bid farewell. Great track. Uh, there's a great live video for this track, uh, from a DVD release. They had a year later called set this world ablaze, uh, where they're playing the big room at the palladium and there's just bodies on top bodies in it. Uh, but like the production, you hear the bass really kind of fits in with the drums at the opening part of that, uh, song. Uh, the chorus on this is great. There's also a, uh, kind of a, it's like a boogie riff at the end of this song uh, that really just always puts a grin on me. and makes me like sprint around the neighborhood that uh, <laughs> that's like anytime I hear it, it's like, fuck. All right. And um, cause like I have, I know this album, like the back of my fucking hand um, no, warts and all like it's all there. And what, what a great opening track. What a great opening track. Um, I can't say enough about it. Like I can still like, I still get that nostalgia kicking in. Uh, I can still get the chills that I did the first time I heard it. Uh, Cause it's been years since I've listened to this album and just getting to like pop it in and go, all right, it takes me back to like riding the bus home from school, putting it in and like having to walk down the dirt road. I live down uh, or like getting uh having a couple beverages way too young and uh, listening to this album with a couple buddies. Um, the next track is probably my favorite on the record. Uh, Take This Oath. Um, that opening riff is New York hardcore to me. I heard, Yeah, I heard a lot of... Uh, I wrote Pantera riff with flares of mellow death. There's yeah, definitely, oh, 100%. Yeah, definitely some uh, like just dime bag riffs. I also noted here that they had like definitely like kind of a power metal adjacent chorus. Um, I really like the like kind of arpeggiated riff in the bridge um when it like harmony harmonizes with the other guitar 
Uh, love that part of it. Uh, I also noted the breakdown. There's like a really cool breakdown into back into the Pantera riff, but kind of noted earlier as well that, you know, obviously Jesse Leach leaves the band and is replaced by Howard, but Jesse Leach appears as a guest vocalist on this track. That's pretty cool. I don't know how much, how hard that was to get him on that track. Uh, I know at that point he was still close to Adam. I think Mike, it took them a while to kind of get, um, maybe back on the same foot. Um, but that, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really good kind of passing of the torch in a weird way. Like, Hey, here we go. You know, here's still a little, and he sounds different on this track than he does on the last record. Uh, sounds a little bit different. Uh, this is, yeah, the whole, like that whole opening riff of this song, when it comes back again later in the song and it's the big long portion of it. Uh, and then it, you know, there's the kind of token metalcore thing, the big, O after that, that is just like, yes, uh, bring that shit on. Um, but again, you song full of riffs into another song full of fucking riffs. You get when darkness falls, which is like, that is a great riff. It starts like right out of the gate too. like the like kind of, I don't know, panic chords or whatever that's going on under the, the riff. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I heard that. I restarted. I was like, what's going on right there? That was, yeah, that's really, <laughs> I like that. that. That's good writing. Uh, we get, I think, I think, does Zach Wild guest on this song in particular? Dude, well? <laughs> there are, there are pitch harmonics all over this record and they're good sounding. It's not just like, like you hit the nail on the head. These are borderline hair metal harmonics. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like it is, those dudes are no joke about that. And it's great. It fits the record. It's not like this album is cheesy enough that it's enjoyable. It's not like, okay, we're going overboard. It's like, it all fits. You know, this was during this era when stuff like this was, a, you know, new. I mean, I think you're right. There's not like a point where I thought, oh, it's so like out there that it is unlistenable or anything. Like there was a lot to enjoy with this record. You know, kind of like I mentioned, there were a few things where I'm like, okay, like I heard this on the last song, like this song, I think is the first um, kind of use of the radio kind of vocal effect, yep. which appears a lot through the rest of the record. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like there's the uh, breakdown riff kind of maybe towards the bridge or the end of the song. Um, and then there's like a like a this I, w- I want to say like almost like a. They use like the 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 main riff, but then they kind of have like a two step beat maybe towards oh, the end of it. This this album yeah. is full of that. He goes halftime immediately, yeah. and it's like okay, like I I can hear like I can hear fucking like you know audio sneakers like squeaking against a gym floor or something. Uh, I, I can I can feel the wind coming off of some dude's like slanted cut bangs. Like I I like I can just see it. Um. You know, I can smell the sweaty shirtless dude like in this. Uh, this is a beast of a fucking track. Uh, and I believe after this, do you go into the first single from the record? You go into Rosa Sharon? Yeah, it just fades right into it. Yep. Yeah, it just fades That's, right into the next one. That is a hell of a track. Um, that's got one of my favorite riffs of, of all time. Like my favorite, the opening riff is one of my favorite riffs of all time. And then it's got that great harmony guitar that's in three four. That da 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 da. Man, where have I heard that before? 
I can't imagine where you've heard that before. Uh, huh. Put on an old in flames record, maybe a dark tranquility record. Um, that's cool. It's like using it's, it's, it's tastefully done. I think it's, it's not just a full on ripoff, but it's there. The influences are there and that's absolutely like it's, uh, this was the, this might've been the first kill switch track I heard. This was on the Headbangers Ball. Yeah, I guess we, did, two we touched compilation. on we touched on how we kind of maybe got familiar with this band. Mm-hmm. Did, was so this was the first song in particular, perhaps. Yeah, this would have been the first track I heard from this band. Uh, got uh, you know, I kind of want to segue from this topic for just a second. Uh, two thousand four, big year for me. But not only was it a big year for me, it was a big year for fucking Roadrunner Records. Um, you had this album. You had Machine Heads through Ashes of Empire. You had uh, Slipknot's Volume Three, Subliminal Verses. Uh, a year later, you had Trivium's Ascendancy, uh, the self-titled Chimera record. Uh, Roadrunner Records was moving shit big time during this period of time. Uh, you had the Headbangers Ball 2 soundtrack. You had the Roadrunner United compilation that came out a year later. Uh, this was probably the last era of really good Roadrunner stuff. Um, everyone kind of wants the lead towards like maybe the early 90s, late 80s with it. Um you know, this might've been it. This was, I think the last period of time Roadrunner had like multiple really big bands, uh, go like pushing a lot of units at the same time. And I did the thing where I got the, you know, I got the compilation, saw this song, heard this song and went, got to go pick up the record. Who else is on Roadrunner records? You know, luckily you could open up the booklet and it showed all the labels. I went, well, got to check that one out, check that one out. Um, so I just went down. I just ran the gambit. That was a that was a gateway release for me. That Headbangers Ball Two soundtrack was a it was a big two disc CD, uh, and it had like forty tracks on it. Like anything on there, I probably still listen to in some facet. Um, and it was hearing that was a an eye opener. You know, it had like, I mean, shit. That compilation had. Blood and Thunder on it. It had ashes. It had uh, laid to rest on it. It had duality on it. Um, it had uh, what's the machine head song? Imperium was on it, um, which we've talked about in the past. And like Jesus Christ, like Roadrunner Records was a big deal for me at that point. And seeing what seeing where Roadrunner Records is now, and not necessarily seeing like people be able to go, oh, I'm going to buy anything that's off of like this record label anymore is is wild not to say people don't do that with other record labels because we still do and other people do but like that label is there's just really not a lot of attention on that label anymore uh this transitions into the first like kind of a segue track yeah i would say i kind of got vibes of like wish you were here pink floyd Mm -hmm. you know again with that radio effect and the acoustic part i don't I don't think this track necessarily fits all too well. I think the actual, actually the instrumental track later in the album fits far better than this one. This one definitely, it, this one should have been an opener of a record or something. Yeah. It, it kind of just appears and then it goes away. Whereas the other one, it, it kind fucking, of fades in naturally. Sorry, Swindle, go ahead. It's, it's it, the song that this song could be like by fucking Switchfoot or like, <laughs> Or like it could be like Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I liked so, it. It's just not, it didn't, it kind of like, all right, we'll just stick that one right there. So yeah. when we were uh, talking about the Haunting Curse album from Goat Whore, there's that track at the uh, tail end of the album that feels like it should be the back portion of a track. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. This this is one of those. This should have been like the kind of in the negative time frame on um like the CD when the time would play back going into the next track almost. Um, and what a fucking next track. I, I know it's like you, you kind of get chorus fatigue here, but like the riffs in this song are stupid. Yeah. This bouncy as hell. This yeah. is very fun. There's like all those all hammer rounds and pull offs yep. and yeah. uh, triplets and all that shit. Yeah. Great track. Uh, you know, again, big choruses kind of, uh, I, I know we're saying now that you kind of get ear fatigue from it. Uh, and hearing it in a 2024, uh, mindset too is different because during this period of time, like this was unheard of. Like you would have bands that would go, we're going to do one or two tracks that way. But these guys just went, yeah, floor it. It's like the insert SpongeBob clip, floor it. Like, yeah, straight that's, into it. That's a good point. You know, as a person now where I don't necessarily hear a lot of this. Yeah. Or like vocally, I, w- I should say, uh, you know, uh, musically, sonically, that's a different story, I think. But the the way, yeah, Howard approaches singing, I'm sure at the time, you know, that's a that's a very important thing to note. I'm sure this was like, wow, what, like mind blowing, never been done before. Whereas now I'm kind of like, OK, I get it. Like it's different age, different kind of mindset mm-hmm. and listening habits. But I do love this. All the riffs on this. I, you know, I think um I don't know if this is necessarily the first solo because a lot it's the of only solo on the record. Yeah. Okay. Cause like a lot of the, the lead lines are like kind of like the harmonized guitars, yeah. but I was like, Oh wait, that's different. There's just kind of a single, yeah. you know, and it's like all wah and whatnot. But yeah, I was like, <laughs> Oh, that's yeah. Uh, okay. I just wanted to make sure. So it's the, that yeah. it's the only one on the record. Got it. That's it. And you know, what's great about this solo too is being 14 years old. Even back then, I was like, I can fucking play that. Like, I can I can learn that. It's not overcomplicated. Like, most of it's wah. There's some hammer-ons on it, but it's like, oh, okay, that's that's cool. Like, I can do this thing. Um, but, you know, that that's probably the reason there aren't many, of, many solos on this album. It's like, the riffs are kind of what you're looking for in this record. Um, and a lot of these riffs that you hear on this record, if you heard them in today's scope, you'd go... That sounds kind of stock. Well, 20 years ago, you look at it and go, okay, this is kind of a new approach and a new take on what we're hearing. It's not a new metal riff. This actually has like heft to it. You know, yeah, there's a lot of Pantera on here, a lot. But there's also a lot of, you know, early 90s, you know, New York hardcore. There's a lot of, uh, oh, what's the band? Only Living Witness from um, Ohio, I believe. Uh, if you heard that band and you listen to like some of the early kill switch stuff, even the early shadows fall stuff, you'd hear all that in there as well. Um, fun fact about, uh, only living witness. That's where twitching tongues got their name. They have a track called twitching tongues. Oh, there um, you go. And the vocals are very reminiscent in that band. Um, but you finish this track off and then you get like probably one of Metalcore's most recognizable songs. Um, the ballad you get, an, if not the, the first iteration of a metalcore power ballad or one of the only ones, um, you get the end of heartache title song. Uh, and this song was fucking everywhere. It was all over radio, but there was mm-hmm. like kind of a radio edit where they kind of cut the harsh vocals parts out. and yeah, there was like that, 
maybe would it be like the kind of more softer like acoustic part in one part I like i was like oh they, they emphasize right. it a lot interesting which i believe that version also ended up in a movie as well the resident, resident evil, evil. Flick. um but another roadrunner soundtrack you mentioned earlier about the album kind of having a very like dry production and i think it certainly is like uh evident on this song alone mm-hmm. where his vocals are just like so yes. up front and you there's nothing like it feels like he's like standing right in front of my face yep. like singing this song at, at certain times, but um, the lots of space on this track for sure. Big, big track, big, massive sounding track, very open, a lot of space. Uh, again, you know, Swindle brought this up when we were preparing to talk about the album. Do we blame Killswitch Engage for all of the, the like sing songy metal core that came later? It's like, yeah, you can a hundred percent like, yeah, there's other bands that can take credit for that as well. But you're kind of looking at one of the blueprint bands for it. Um, and this song is like straight up that. Yeah, it, uh, it's, it's even worse when it's just like cock rock with breakdowns yep. or uh, or like dance and breakdowns together. Though, yeah, that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, there's not a lot of dancing on this album. Uh, I really like uh, there's a fucking big ass big riff at the end of this song. The Pantera uh, riff. That's like very, very fucking Pantera. Yeah. I love that riff. That's probably my favorite riff on the whole album. Boo da da do da do This like peaked on the rock charts. It was like number 31 on mainstream rock. I mean, it had two music videos, kind of one standalone and then one that tied into the Resident Evil movie as well. Um I also want to mention it has some additional guitar playing on as well, like a little guest. Mr. Andy Sneap. Yeah. Who uh, mixed who, the record. He mixed it. He mastered it. Uh, he is n- not only the current touring guitarist of Judas Priest, but he has a long, long uh, resume of uh, collaborations with other artists. Jesus. I mean, my God. I, I don't even want to go into that list. Look it up. Because like... Jesus, any record that you probably sit back and listen to and you're like, this sounds really good. It's probably him. There's also some uh, wrestling tie-in, I found out. Sure is. Any any idea who? Uh, one Tyler Black, now known as Seth Rollins. Uh, Roderick Strong of yep. AEW fame uses, the, uses this song as his entrance music. It's not, uh, didn't... Punk used to use a Killswitch Engage song. As- so, yes, he did. So to get into that a little bit, um, that was a track called This Fire Burns. Uh, this Fire Burns was actually originally Randy Orton's entrance music before he got his known music. He did it one time and he's like, I don't like it. And the fans weren't digging it. Uh, that track was specifically written for Randy. Uh, cause Mike is a big wrestling fan. He didn't use it. So when they brought punk in, they're like, Hey, what do you think about this? Punk's like, sure. I like the song. I like the band, you know, let's do it. So until cult of personality showed up in 2011, he used it for five years. He used the track for that long. And originally, I don't know if this is how it was supposed to go, but I remember, uh, watching an interview, uh, with Mike and Adam They were originally, it may have been Jesse, they were originally going to cover Cult of Personality for Punk. And it's like, okay, um, 
sure. All right. I'll listen to it. I'll take a listen, see what it sounds like. Um, so yeah, like t- wrestling tie in with this band, which is wild shit. Uh, I forgot about, uh, Seth using that for, uh, I guess it's during his ROH days. Next track. Also very fun. I, when I listen to this, Oh, declarations rad. It has some more like very like bouncy kind of chuggy riffs. The intro lick of this song, I feel like if I played along to it, I'd like have a lot of fun just kind of warming up to it. Like it's just kind yep. of a nice little scale or it, like right. And it, it modulates too. So it starts out in a higher range, goes a little bit lower, goes a little bit lower. Uh, but like there's a lot of riffs like that. It's very, this album's full of simple song structure uh, aside from maybe a bid farewell, but it's very catchy. It's a lot of like standard songwriting stuff, right? Like, you know, it's not one, four, five chords, but it's, uh, you know, first chorus, first bridge breakdown, you know, that sort of thing, you know, chorus on the way out, but they just do it with riffs and they, they do what my favorite thing about songwriting is, is where you get one riff, maybe one or two, and you ride around those two riffs. You just, the rest of the song's pretty straightforward and you just use those two riffs and highlight those riffs. Uh, and this song does it, uh, there's some definite at the gate shit in this song, uh, like it sounds like slaughter of the soul, uh, terminal spirit disease, all that, um, that, uh, the n- kind of guitar noodling during the verses or whatever. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Like it's, you know, th- this band is, they don't experiment a lot. Uh, they, they've, they've found their niche and they stick to that. But when they, you know, kind of bring one of those rare things out that they're like, Hey, we haven't really done this before. Let's do it. It works really well. And it's really catchy. It doesn't sound uh, like just, it doesn't sound like uh, 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. Uh, I like the, the intro of the next song, kind of like a, what do you call it? Like a little paradiddle kind of intro, like the drum uh, for world of blaze. Very catchy riff as well. Definitely. Mm-hmm got like that pantera kind of like mute a note style of a, i don't know how you would explain it but again we mentioned it to death i guess it's yep. pantera all over this record yep. especially this song this is uh this is one of my favorite choruses on the album um because it's got that kind of guitar line that plays under it um it's very much like, like a, a like a circle pit kind of part i could yeah, imagine yeah. anytime i heard that part i was like oh this is where people are just kind of running and pushing yep. each other down um you know I, we've all been to a lot of shows in the South. Uh, my favorite thing are when bands come to the South and they're circle pit bands, right? It's like a thrash band and they call for a circle pit in the South. There's too much mashed potatoes and gravy. There's too much sweet tea. You aren't getting that here, guys. I'm sorry. Like you aren't getting that. We're getting, I've seen, I've seen a few. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen plenty of circle pits at the fucking muse. But you're getting winded after about four feet, <laughs> you know, because we're all talking about like, God damn, I got to get a hot chicken before or after. And like, oh, so cheese in that Danish. <laughs> like, I get it. It's fun. I- I've seen enough. I've seen a bunch of them. Um, I saw Mastodon at Marathon like 10 years ago and massive. That's the biggest circle pit I've ever seen in my life. And it was during. Uh, oh, it was during. It was during Island. They they brought out Island and played it. And it was like, okay. It's that that riff. They're fucking playing in 3616 and motherfuckers are circle pitting. 
<laughs> so somebody probably ran all, into that fucking support beam. In the okay, I'm gonna br- I gotta uh, bring well, that up. Yeah. Um, so Swindle, have you been to Marathon? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the circle pitting. Some dude scaled that big beam uh, in the middle. <laughs> it was just like up at the top. What are we like, doing? I was like, smart dude. Okay, how do you get down? <laughs> There's two slide. ways. You slide or you just jump. Um, this is, uh, The back half of this record, you would feel like since you do get a lot of very similar song structure that these tracks kind of get lost, but they don't. Uh, again, those big hooks help. Um, to, to be memorable. And that's what those things are. Like they get stuck in your head. You're going to remember them. It's very simple songwriting. The chorus is literally the name of the song. Like I, I get it. I love that shit. Um, but then you go into the next kind of instrumental interlude, which is a little bit more fitting for this record. Right. Well, cause it, you know, essentially fades in from the previous song. Like it has those like acoustic tinges of like, that make it it makes sense it's like it didn't just come out of nowhere it like literally went from one song to the other so that that's essentially why i thought it worked so well here um but you know a good little kind of palate cleanser before you get into the next track which big gulp riffs man this thing has just some big old honking riffs wasted sacrifice is a good track um a lot of a lot of a lot of one finger notes on this one, or one finger riffs on this Can't be one. Be doing that, I got you know, censor that again now. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna touch, we're gonna touch on that later. <laughs> is it is it Bob's Burgers, their babysitter that has the finger that has no bones or joints in it and it just moves around? I don't fucking oh. remember that at all. <laughs> oh, it's you got to look it up because like. She's just every so often that she's brought up in an episode, the finger is just like spinning around. <laughs> it's like, what am I watching? <laughs> Uh, but no, this, this track definitely makes me do the same thing. Um, <laughs> this is like big gulp riffs. That's, that's great. Cause now I got a picture. Now I've got like a mental image of like Harry and Lloyd in that fucking, uh, van, like built like a dog, just like track playing. Ah, big gulps, huh? All right. See ya. See ya. <laughs> uh, shout out so Nick Ray. Got- that part gets him every time, probably to this day. Um, so we got what we got the fucking Arby's crowbar thing, and now we got big gulp and big gulp. Uh, kill switch. Oh shit! Um, I don't know why this just came up. Um, to kind of take a step back a little bit, this I think the album production was the album was done really quick. You went from December to January, and it was like you maybe got three weeks. You can hear the click track in certain songs. Oh, I specifically that. end of heartache. Um. So at the beginning of the song, when it's just like him hitting his, uh, sounds like he's hitting a crash cymbal really hard to keep time. You can hear the click on the left side. He does it again. And on the, it's later in the song, but you can hear it on the right side. And it's not loud enough that you're like, that's a fucking bell. It's like, oh yeah, it's there. It's like, you can hear the click. Like, I don't know how it got missed, but hey, they were, they wanted this record out. I bet it was already behind schedule. Um, but that's that. And one of the B sides, you can hear it on, but that's, that's it. Um, but again, um, wasted sacrifice, great track. Uh, more of those pinch harmonics that this album is just chock full of. Um, I mean, this is, it's fun to listen to an album. You 
listen to in your, um, you know, I, for lack of a better word, you listen to in your youth uh, that was really impressionable. And you go back and listen to it like, fuck, I, I remember all these parts. Like I remember the thoughts I was having in my head when these parts played. And I remember like just putting this on my, I, I had one of those big three CD changing like stereos and like just putting it in there and just like sitting in front of it and looking at the CD booklet. Uh, I'm kicking myself for this because I lost it throughout the years. I had a signed version of this, of the album booklet that I got the band to sign. Oh, wow. Uh, and I'm kicking myself for that. I think the, actually the only autograph I didn't get was Howard. Uh, but I got all the other guys in the band. Um, was this at like a signing or something? Where was this at? This was at a show. I went around oh. the back of the venue in Memphis and they were just hanging out signing stuff. And I was like, Damn. sure, I'll do this. Yeah. Um, and that it was, was like, the, uh, the summer Dylan followed kill switch engage on tour. <laughs> you know, some people head. have the grateful dead. Some people follow fish, the boss mine's Boston metalcore bands. Um, <laughs> I just, I pick a portion of the year. I was like, all right, this is quarter one. It's kill switch. Quarter two is shadows fall. Quarter three is this band. Quarter four is this band. That's it's just how I did it back then. Um, hope is, uh, last track on the record. Again, great course. Uh, but this has some like, Deep death metal shit on it, like death metal vocals on it. Um, Phil from All That Remains is on this. Um, you can definitely, if you're familiar with his voice, you can hear it immediately. Uh, it's there at the tail end. Uh, he does a lot of the really deep kind of death metal guttural stuff on the on the the track as well. Um, uh, you know, I never put it into mind that these were Mastodon style riffs. I never put it in there, and you and you pointed that out, Austin. Yeah, I just, I, you know, I'm sure it's not like exclusive to Mastodon, but mm -hmm. it's certainly of an era. I, I got the, I got Mastodon vibes yeah. from this track. Uh, you just put, plug that in the notes, but I feel like when I listened to this track, I got like every little piece of like the album on it. Like mm -hmm. it just kind of touched on everything from the riffs to like, there's the two-step part a little bit towards the end of the track. Um, the Zach Wilde-esque pinch harmonics. Uh, yep. There's like gang vocals on this song in particular no more. and then it kind of ends with like this breakdown and then it just ends that's it it's done dramatic breakdown right at the end and their vocals like because howard's doing high vocals at that point and phil's doing the bottom vocals and uh howard's top phil's bottom and it's uh it is just ludicrous <laughs> vocals um Oh, he's on this record too? Howard's hitting the high vocals. Bill's hitting the low vocals. <laughs> God, God um, <laughs> Not enough people talk about that fucking guy. <laughs> Luda. Man, Super Bowl. Um, we'll get back to that shit. But uh, that's the end of the record. Um, during this time period, uh, Roadrunner was very um, akin. Ah. Uh, hey! Ah, so amalgamation. <laughs> <laughs> almost, you almost had it. Uh, he was amalgamation. <laughs> amalgamation works. Um, I'm so bad. Roadrunner was so very. Upset. Roadrunner was very akin to uh, kind of release a an extended version or like a special edition version, literally a year after the album's release. God damn. That's a tactic to boost sales. That's all it is. Because back then, uh, when CDs would come out, if you released a single CD, you got one sale. 
But if you re- released a two-disc CD, it was considered two sales. Because there's really, you know, obviously we're talking about the special bonus edition of this album. All of the tracks really, they're not like, you would think, oh, maybe it's uh, songs that didn't make make it to the record. I mean, there might be one, but most of it's like, you know, most of it, uh, yeah, My Life for Years would be the one that I would think, okay, maybe this just didn't make the cut and they put it on, but everything else has appeared on the previous record for yeah. the most part. Yeah. So. Um, I do want to say this version of Ear Reversal, which is on the 99 or 2000 album. Yes. Is, yeah, the self-titled. Man, yeah. that is the heaviest I've ever heard Howard. Um, he is, that is some nasty old school sounding shit. That opening riff, I ripped off years ago. Yeah. That's a divine intervention rift. Oh, is it really? Wouldn't yes, it have, is. Wouldn't have known. It is straight up that. That's so funny. Uh, I just, I just kind of dilbosed it a little bit. Um, <laughs> it is, uh, but I ripped that off and that's like divine intervention was influenced a lot by these first two kill switch records, uh, by alive or just breathing. And this one, uh, there's a lot of the playing on there that was definitely influenced by the way the songs were written. Um, Hey man, you just, Show me the riff and I'll, uh, <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, yes, sir, Mr. Bozer. I'll do it. You, you show me. Palm, you got it. Palm you there. Um, Whittly woo there. But the, the live stuff on here is kind of cool. It's from a smaller show before the band got crazy big. Um, and, you know, yeah, you've got, you get an additional 20 minutes of music. Uh, kind of just a nod in. What's cool about the kind of extended edition is, you got a slip case for the uh, artwork, which is a different piece of art that Mike D did. So kind of adds a different texture to it. Um, in 2022 or 23, they put out a really nice uh, vinyl edition of this through, I believe, uh, Run Out of Groove. Um, that's more that's more akin to the uh, original artwork, has some more high contrast colors on it and everything. Really nice, really nice vinyl copy. Um, but again, classic record at this point. Um, you know, not only is it a classic record, it's a highly successful record. Um, this kind of ushered in the, this album ushered in or helped usher in metalcore becoming what it was for that like 04 to like 08 period where it was hitting the tops of the charts. Uh, you know, bands were still going gold back then. Um, Bands were still selling a lot of records. Um, this was kind of the last era you saw that. Or maybe this was the beginning of the era where you started seeing records not being sold. Um, you know, this album went gold three years later in 2007. Um, after the uh, As Daylight Dies record came out. And I'm sure that record helped push this record gold. Um, and not only did you get a gold record, you got a Grammy nod. Um, they may have lost to, I believe it was, uh, was it Metallica? No, kind of, kind of. They lost to Metallica. Motorhead. Wait, was won. it the Whiplash cover? Motorhead won for their Whiplash cover, which is v- very funny. Yeah. The same year you got a Slipknot, Slipknot got nominated. Yep. Uh, like you had some heavy hitters. Yeah. It was Cradle of Filth. Hate yeah. Breed, another Slipknot. Roadrunner band. And uh, yeah, so Motorhead won, which I guess, yeah, if you're going to lose anybody, great, it's Motorhead. But 
it was such a, I remember the year that came out and it was like, what are we doing? What are we doing yeah. here? Um, Metallica was nominated for a different category. They actually uh, were nominated for best hard rock performance uh, for some kind of monster. And they lost to Slither, Velvet Revolver. Wild. Cool track. Better than some kind of monster. You got the nod, at least, you know, for the title track. It, it's great. You're in movies all year round. You're on the radio. You're being played on MTV. Uh, you, I mean, you're probably not too upset, I suppose, um, to be recognized in that way. Bunch of dudes from Boston, you know, sitting back there eating baked beans, uh, smoking a parliament, um, you know, having some Dunkin'. And they're like, oh, we're going to the Grammys? Okay. Um, here we go. Um, one thing I want to bring up too is up until like, God, probably 2008, they practice in one of the guitar players' parents' basement. To that day, like band playing all these massive shows, doing like arena tours with like larger bands, doing all these uh, festivals, uh, playing Ozfest in 05, um, doing all this shit, like playing practices in the basement. Hey, it's a free space. Everybody's everybody knows everybody. You go upstairs, cookies, cakes, pies, whatever you want. Good sandwich. You know, it's not it's not like most practice spaces, which are in just burnout fucking areas. It's like, man, I practice in a place at one point that was so infested with fleas that was like, my God. Um, I practiced at a at a horse ranch one time, multiple times. Like in high school, I knew these guys who lived on a horse ranch and we practiced in a industrial freezer that was not on. Oh, it was man. so hot because there was just it was oh yeah it suctioned it's, off. Yeah. So you're just you're in a, it probably had one of the, the doors with the big uh steel handle on it. Hundred percent locks you if you're like hundred percent. Yes. So <clears throat> I mean it oh, yeah. God I always go to like Goodfellas when he's killing everybody after the Latanza heist. And they're finding the guys in like the meat oh, truck meat. just frozen. That was it. They, uh, Swindle, what was the worst place you ever practiced, did you think? I don't know. Well, pr- like when it's fucking either cold as fuck or hot as fuck playing in Dylan's garage. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Jeez. Or when the, the the cat had a little too much of birds the night before <laughs> and those litter boxes are Filled to the brim in the garage. Man, those are some... Yeah, that thing kept the heat in for sure. Yeah. But I've... But, but like, I don't know. Coming from when we played a fucking car garage, uh, when we played shows at a car garage every week in fucking Bowling Green, Kentucky, and it was 10,000 degrees in there, like... Sometimes you just play music. You make art in shitty conditions just because it's fun to play music. You know that's right. Uh, oh, where's he going? Where's he going? I wanted the WBKO. Well, no, I had. Oh, yeah. uh, I actually had the vinyl copy of this album in Reach, so oh, cool. I just kind of wanted to show this, hold this up. Oh wow! Very, it's very bright. He did. Uh, Mike D did a really good job with that artwork on that one. Um. But I mean, this not only was the band successful in, um, you know, in album sales, uh, this thing debuted at 21 on the charts, which is unfucking heard of at that time. Um, 
This, that's a heavy band. That's a really heavy band debuting that high. It's, you know, with all of the pop sensibility of yeah. the record or like the, you know, just the kind of more traditional structure in songwriting there. I mean, yeah, it's like still a heavy fucking yes. record. There's some wild shit for it to be, you know, getting the exposure that it did. So it is, yeah, definitely like right place, right time. But also, I mean, it also speaks for itself, I guess. You wouldn't have records like this debuting uh, as high as it did without, um, you go back to 94, Far Beyond Driven debuts at number one. Um, Fast forward to 2001, Slipknot's Iowa debuts at number two. Um, And, you know, you, you don't get a band like this debuting this high on the charts without stuff like that happening. You got to have, you know, I think Iowa was the highest charting album with like blast beats opening up ever. Cause like people equal shit just opens with straight blast. Um, and it's like, okay, you know, the floodgates are kind of opened. Uh, one thing that I will say that probably helped a lot was the amount of fucking touring this band did. My God, they were just not home for a whole year. Like, I mean, definitely some weeks at a time, but for the most part, yeah. They left and they just never fucking came back. That was a period of time you could tour that much, right? And you could keep going. You could sustain yourself by doing that. Uh, and, and not even just be like, all right, I might have to sleep on a couch when I get home kind of thing. Like these guys were probably able to make, you know, a modest living at doing this. Yeah. I mean, starting things out, Japan and Australia with anthrax and soil work. Anthrax, I mean, they've kind of remen- remained like pretty close friends with they've oh yeah toured together quite frequently since this point on um and i mean anthrax now obviously has a connection to this kind of scene of music with like literally mm-hmm. having a member of shadows fall as their own guitarist now so yep. uh john denias i believe yes yeah yep so that's like f- through most of april then you go ahead and do the uh, New England and New England Metal and Hardcore Festival that you mentioned earlier. A um, couple days, just kind of touching on some of the other bands in this. You have Arch Enemy, Machine Head, Children of Bodom, All Our Remains, Cattle was on it, As I Lay Dying, Black Dolly Murder. Um, some other odd ones that I saw on the list were uh, Ed Gein, Terror, Soylent Green, the Red Corp Pig Destroyer. So, I mean, you know, th- certainly the maybe the more. Uh, the headliners, I guess they kind of feel at the time, but I, I, I like that they, there's some other ones snuck in there. There's a, uh, there's a site called uh, return to the pit uh, that does, that takes photos of all these like different acts that play in that area of the country. Every year they do photos for the new England metal and hardcore festival. So you can literally go back, I think to maybe like the one from 99 on, and you can see photos of every act that played and I remember one night I got really hammered and I think it was the night I w- it may have been during COVID. I, it was during like COVID and I went back and actually looked at all the kill switch photos from that show throughout just to see like, what did they look like the first time they play it versus like at the peak of the bands or the height of the bands, like, um, success on to kind of where they're more of a legacy act now. And like just seeing the different phases of, um, what their what their gear looked like, what the backdrops looked like, uh, and just seeing the type of crowds. Uh, that's a big deal festival. Um, you know, for a long time, that was kind of the only the only one in America 
uh, that was like that. And now luckily you've got uh, Milwaukee Metal Fest is back. Uh, you've got the Decibel Fest, which are great. You got Psycho Las Vegas. Um, you got a lot of these festivals hit in the U.S., but this is a big deal one for a lot of people. Uh, kind of touching on what we mentioned earlier with this band, their first show opening for In Flames. They also did a co They also did a uh, co-headlining uh, tour with In Flames with support from As I Lay Dying. This lasted from like May to June. Yeah, that's a wild one too, because like that's. That's probably in flames at the height, at the height of their success. That's on the soundtrack to your escape album. That's an 04. Um, they played Ozfest, I think, the year after uh, in 05. This is As I Lay Dying Before the Shadows or Security album, which you can actually go back and listen to in our archives when we uh, had uh, Mikey Herod on. Oh, right. That's right. Yep. He picked that record. Um, again, that's, that's one of the bands that Adam produced, uh, As I Lay Dying. And again, you know, it shows that the amount of the amount of heft Killswitch Engage had at this point. They also did another co-headlining tour with their label mates in Chimera uh, with support from Shadows Fall and God Forbid, uh, kind of like a couple weeks in June. Um, then you have a few festival dates, Grass Pop Metal Meeting, uh, which is in uh, Belgium. Hate Breed, Ignite, Chimera, Shadows Fall, Aggressive Music Festival in 2004, uh, which is in New York. Uh, they shared the stage with Sick of It All, Agnostic, Agnostic Front, Shadows Fall, Converged, Terror, As I Lay Dying, uh, With Honor, Love is Red. They also played Hellfest, which I assume, just looking up, I am more familiar with the Hellfest in France. But apparently, uh, I, I'm unaware of a festival that took place in Jersey. Hellfest in, uh, you know, was held in New Jersey. Uh, it ran for, I believe, uh, Swindle said 1993 to like 05. 97. 97 to 05. It was a big deal festival for a lot of like any underground band at that point probably played Hellfest. Uh, there's great DVDs. There's great performances from Hellfest for a lot of great acts. Converge, Mastodon, Lamb of God, Bleeding Through, uh, 18 Visions. A uh, ton, Ed Gein, Red Cord, ton of bands. Um, and that was a big deal festival. So seeing Killswitch play, go back and play something like that, and I don't want to say like that's a step down, but this is a band that's playing big shows now. So uh, as popular as that band was, I can only imagine the amount of fucking people. You mentioned 18 Visions. They also did a North American tour with uh, 18 Visions from Autumn to Ashes, 36 Crazy Fists. And uh, I believe. I found that Howard Jones did a like guest vocal spot on a uh, Crazy Fist song. Yes, um, I believe that track is actually on the. Um, it's, it's not on the Snowcap Romance, which is the Roadrunner album. It's on an album called, I believe, Rest Inside the Flames, which came out on DRT Entertainment, which came out years later. Um, Thirty Six Crazy Fist was a Roadrunner band for a small amount of time. They're they're from Alaska. They're like a kind of, they're almost like a post new metal band, but had aspects of metalcore to their writing and playing. Um, and the Snowcap Romance album is really good. It's a great record. Uh, I haven't listened to that in years. Uh, but again, kind of fitting in the same time frame of this era. A uh, really cool band. Uh, from Autumn to Ashes, I'm not really familiar with that band. I know a lot of people really liked uh, a song called The After Dinner Payback. Um, 
Now, 18 Visions, I've talked about this band to both of you guys at different points. Uh, 18 Visions does not get a lot of credit that they should. Uh, they're one of the very first bands to do um, kind of what Deathcore did 15 years later. Uh, that band had been around since like the early to mid 90s. Um, straight edge hardcore band. Uh, but we're playing like cannibal corpse parts and like had brutal breakdowns and like we're writing wild structured songs, but they also dressed like GQ models at this point, <laughs> like had creepers on, uh, bought really like, uh, kind of in vogue clothes and everything did their hair a certain way, but they all lifted weights and like, it was the wildest shit you'd ever seen. Great fucking band. I like their butt rock albums too. Cause they did a couple of them. Um, like some wild shit. That band does not get near the attention they should. Um, anyway, perhaps the biggest tour of this cycle or the year, the Jägermeister music tour from '04, Kill Switch Engage alongside Mastodon, uh, directly supporting Slayer, who love their Jaeger. Uh, like I remember seeing like all those tents, uh, you know, or like the uh you know, the bat behind the scenes where they got the fucking Jägermeister uh, dispensers in their fucking dressing room. Um, this was the fourth year of this tour. I think Slayer had done the year before, and this was maybe their second time doing the, the, sh- the, the tour. But uh, yeah, what a, what a wild time. Lots of Jaeger, I'm sure. So I almost got a chance to go to a Jägermeister music tour. Uh, it was, there was one earlier that year. If it wasn't a Jägermeister music tour, it was just another sponsor. Um, but it was Slipknot was headlining, Slayer was direct support, and Hatebreed was the opener. Jesus. Um, yeah, being 14 and somehow trying to get to go to that with anybody was would have been a logistical nightmare. I just want to say it's appropriate. Well, it's not. Uh, young people are more appropriate people to drink Jägermeister and adult <laughs> men true. should not fucking be drinking Jaeger. I just want to challenge the members of Slayer on this. It was like a fucking water, like it's like a water cooler back there. All the shit yeah. that I've seen. I think they even had it as like mo- as recently as like the the big four uh, tours. I feel like I remember seeing some <laughs> Jaeger dispensers in there. I, I want to ask, when was the last time either of you had that? Like Probably at when I was like 14. <laughs> Jaeger? <laughs> yeah. I was actually going to say 14 is a more appropriate age to have Jaeger, but then I had to walk walk that back because I was like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> drink responsibly. Uh, don't. 14-year-olds <laughs> should not drink. <laughs> I was I think I was 23 the last time I had it. But yeah, just as casually as they had it. I don't think I've ever had that sort of energy or mindset to do it, but knowing where I work and throughout the years, hearing people like talk about like in the break room and around like the kind of social hubs, like, ah, oh, yeah, I do this and that. It's like, how that is not something your body's supposed to consume. <laughs> that is, I would, I would rather you drink well whiskey, like straight, like it, it, eat the bug out of tequila, whatever you got to do. But Jägermeister is the worst. So it gross. is so bad i have been so sick on jägermeister it is so i bought into it when i saw the adverts for like my favorite bands drinking i was like that's the first thing i ever want to have 
And that's the first time I ever had a terrible night. Damn. But you waited until you turned 21, right? Yes. (laughs) Subtracting (laughs) seven years. Wow. I can't believe there's Joe Camel getting kids to smoke. And then there's Carrie King just getting kids to. (laughs) I I was always told that the deer on the Jägermeister bottle stood for old dear God. Because it had like, it's got a cross on it. It's got an O on it. It's got a deer. I was like, that's not what it means, you morons. Thinking too hard into that. Yes. It's, it's literally, it's, oh God, it's, it's motor oil. It's toxic. Do you think, did you think there'll be any Jaeger at these upcoming uh, Slayer performances? What are you talking about? The band's broken up. (laughs) (laughs) Who the fuck knows at this point? Did it, uh, Nirvana has a has a song called Gallons of Rubbing Alcohol Flow Through the Strips. Insert Jägermeister into that, and that's going to be on the new Slayer record. It's just going to happen. Like, that. God damn it. So, we kind of touched on the touring. You know, I think it's certainly important to know, uh, you know, the legacy, obviously, of this year. We've touched on some of the other albums that have come out in 04. I mean, we mentioned a few bands off offhand, like, Lamb of God, Ashes of the Wake, Mastodon, Leviathan, which will have a tour this year celebrating their 20th anniversaries. This album kind of probably won't ever see that just with, you know, obviously Howard is no longer a vocalist of this band. Jesse Leach is now, I mean, he's been in the band for what, quite a few years at this point. He's done like, God, like what, 12, 13 years. Yeah, done a few records since then. Yep. Um, not to say that anybody has any ill will because, I mean, Howard's certainly appeared in multiple live shows and done little yep. guest spots. So he's, he and Adam are doing a record together right now, I believe. Yeah. Uh, they're working on their own project. Apparently there's a new kill switch record in the works as well. Yep. So, uh, you know, I don't know what, uh, you know, what an anniversary tour would look like for this album, but yeah, I wonder if there would be sort of any sort of like, I don't know, celebration for this record this year or what, 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 what do you think that looks like? You know, it is, those songs are so synonymous with kind of Howard's voice. Uh, Jesse does them. I've seen the band actually, I've seen the band once with Jesse uh, since he's came back and he does a great job. He does them well live, but in any of the interviews I've read about kind of that, the Howard era of stuff is like, Hey, those aren't my songs. I can't really identify with them, Um, but I will play them because I want people to hear them. So they're very selective about the songs off that album. It's probably going to be the hits. Uh, when it comes off that now seeing some sort of like anniversary show, is that going to happen? I, I don't know. Um, Howard hasn't been in the band for quite some time and he left for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, some of it probably had to do with burnout of it or ultimately maybe it comes down to the fact of when he joined the band, he was like, you know what? I don't kind of, I don't really, this isn't my thing. Uh, and he just rode a wave for a while. And at a certain point he was like, you know what? I think it's my time to go. Um, and he, he's still doing music. He's in a band called light the torch, I believe, um, with a couple ex members of like other prominent metalcore bands, uh, is doing stuff with, uh, Adam. Um, he's done a lot of different things, a lot of different touring. The guy likes to fish a lot. Uh, I've seen photos on Instagram of him just fishing, uh, and it's great. Um, but I, I don't know. Uh, maybe some sort of um, we got a vinyl release a couple years ago. Um, 
Maybe you get some sort of special edition merch that comes out. Um, they're on Metal Blade Records now, so who knows what you may see. Uh, Roadrunner still owns <laughs> those records. Uh, Roadrunner doesn't let go of a lot of shit. Um, so who knows? Who knows what you what you get? Maybe it's a t-shirt. Maybe it's just like, hey, congrats, it's 20 years old. Maybe that's what you get. Swindle, having listened to this all the way through for the first time, what were your thoughts? What do you think about the album? Would you go further? What do, what do you think? Uh, first of all, I just want to pat myself on the back for waiting this far into the episode <laughs> to make this joke. But uh, Oh, God. I'm just... It blows my mind that Michael Diamond from the Beastie Boys also <laughs> wrote <laughs> this kind of music. Wow. Mike D is just the, such a talented guy. <laughs> I hate he you. was fucking shaking waiting for that to get he out. Was, he like was a dog waiting to pee. I, I, that, that, <laughs> that knee was going, and you know it was, just <laughs> bouncing, waiting to get to say that. That's it. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, the answer to the question. Personally, I think uh, it was a fun listen. Who knows if I ever would have really got to this record in the way that it did. It wasn't, I don't know if it's even necessarily my thing having listened to it, but I think as an older person now versus the kind of close-minded youth that I was in high school where I really didn't touch a lot of this stuff, I can appreciate and pick out the things that I do like about it and at least like say, Hey, this, this is important. Like I know why this is important. I can see the influences that it takes and the influences that happened after it because of it. So it's an important record, you know, don't be like me, listen to it, check it out. I'm sure you'll find something that you like about it. This is, this is not my favorite kill switch record. This is the first one I really grasped because I bought this album at least two weeks before I got Alive or Just Breathing. Like it was right around the same time. So I got both records. Um, This isn't even my favorite Howard record. My favorite Howard record is the album after this is Daylight Dies. I think that's a more refined version of what they did with Howard. Uh, Obviously, it's got my curse on it. It's got Arms of Sorrow on it. This is Absolution. Great songs. Uh, funny thing about the Holy Diver hit, it was recorded on the back end of this album. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. it actually was just include. They didn't even want to include it on that album because again, Roadrunner released a bonus edition of the record a year after. Um, so that's why you saw the longevity with that. Um, but this is a great gateway record for me. Uh, I like all the songs on it. Um, and it is, I think it's lineage is going to be, this is the album that took this band into kind of an elite group uh, that made them the a legacy act at that point. Basically anything after they could, they knew was going to always have more attention to it because of this record. Uh, as Daylight Dies helped, As Daylight Dies is a different record. Uh, that's probably more in vain of like the early era of metalcore. Uh, there's some things on there that sound very, a lot older riffs, guitar stuff, you name it. Uh, whereas this sounds like, all right, you could hand this record to a young kid getting into music for the first time. Maybe he's heard the classics. He's heard, you know, a Metallica record, a Van Halen record. Uh, maybe he's even heard like a Slipknot record. Uh, but you could hand him this and go, maybe. You know, this this may be a little bit more palatable and this will help ease you into it because I can tell you 
I got in flames from this shit. Uh, I got into a lot of Swedish death metal from this, uh, you know, carnage carcass. Uh, I would have gotten to heart work without bands like this, uh, dark tranquility, soil work, all of those. Um, I think it is, uh, it's going to go down as a very great record, a classic record, another great Roadrunner um, album. Um, I do want to say that I think going down in the long road, um, Kill Switch Engage will be held in the same light. Let me rephrase that. Kill Switch Engage should get more um, respect and more um, attention for being one of the creators and kind of purveyors of metalcore. Uh, they should be held in the same light as like a Converge. They should be held in that same light because Converge created a different form of metalcore. Let's face it. They they did something completely different. They're more in vain of like a neurosis, but I think they get more respect too because that band's been DIY since the beginning, right? Yeah, they're signed to Epitaph, but it is purely a, um, they just released the albums. Like they're, uh, what do they call that kind of deal? Uh, they're licensed. They license the albums, they put them out. But maybe it's because Killswitch did come up in a different era. Uh, maybe it's because Killswitch was on a massively marketed label, uh, essentially a major record label. And maybe that's the reason they don't get it. But I think they can. They need to go down as one of the most important bands in metalcore. You don't get the kind of melodic Swedish style metalcore without this band pushing it. And we've reached that point in the episode uh, where we give our recommendations of what we've been listening to lately. Uh, and I can go ahead and start off. Uh, I've been listening to, to the album Higherlander by the band, band Ed Hockley recently, named after the NFL referee, the buff NFL referee, but uh, their band name is One Word. They're going on tour with Narwhal, the ripping two-piece from Nashville. Uh, that I don't know if the Ghost is Clear put out the album or if they're just kind of like distributing it, but you can order the album off the Ghost is Clear's website. Uh, some of the some of the album kind of sounds like Red or Blue Era Baroness, so that's pretty fun. That's wild that a band. What where this band from? Pittsburgh, I think. It's wild that a band like this from Pittsburgh and my dad have like the same sense of humor as far as very specific <laughs> NFL refs. My dad wanted to go as Ed Hockley for Halloween one time and and uh, wear like a muscle suit under a ref jersey, and my mom was like, "No one's gonna get that." But <laughs> there, my dad, there'll be I'll, that one guy, and that's all he's playing to. I'll 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 share this with my dad. I'm sure he'll enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> the music, yeah. Share the album with them, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have one this week. Uh, this is a local band that just released uh, their first piece of new music in five years. Chicago's Hate Force. This is a trio of sorts made up of members of bands like. Uh, like rats, weekend nachos, harm's way. Um, but this band sounds kind of like its own things. It's its own beast. Um, definitely influenced by it, it, like kind of a combination of like death metal grind, um, hardcore, you know, kind of reminds me of bolt thrower kind of reminds me of like Tom G warrior esque kind of riffs. Ooh, this album is set for release on March 29th. It's their sophomore album systems of terror uh going to be out on closed casket activities also their second for the label 
featuring 10 new tracks. I'm very stoked for it, but uh, first single, Hateful Creator, is beefy as hell. The bass uh, is filthy sounding. That tone is just disgusting. Um, James, who we may also know from Harm's Way, uh, kind of doing a really separate kind of unique approach to his vocals on this versus his vocal approach in harm's way. So uh, yeah, hate force, check it out. It's, it's some good shit. So I've got a few uh, starting out going with uh, going with uh, something I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Uh, this is California's own neck rot with their newest release. Uh, Cut the cord. Uh, it's going to be coming on to their new record, uh, Lifeless Birth, which will be out on Tank Crime Records. This is a great track. This thing is, it's got one big riff in it that just plays over and over that I fucking love and just can't get enough of it. The production on it is great. You hear every instrument. Uh, look, Really looking forward to that one. Uh, we've also got a, we got a new release coming from High on Fire. Uh, we got a hell of a track coming off their new album, Cometh the Storm. Um, I hope there's a shitload of Getty Lee jokes on this album. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, the new track, Burning Down, uh, is a, a fucking monster of a riff on that thing. Uh, there's certain points, the, the way that riff is played, it makes me think of like pylons at like a hardcore show. It's like, if I see pylons at a high on fire show, I'm leaving. Uh, but if it's a hardcore show, like I, you know, it gets a pass. Um, and then uh, I want to bring up a favorite of uh, Austin's that uh, I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Uh, you know, we were talking about melodic death metal a lot on this episode, but uh, the newest fucking Gate Creeper single, uh, Caught in the Treads. This thing sounds like it's straight from Sweden. It sounds like it's from Scandinavia. It's a, certainly an evolution for this band, you know, kind of being more rooted in the old school death metal from before. But now, like, I think. You know, maybe with some new blood in the band over the past couple of years, I think you're going to have some some really cool influence there. Uh, I mean, I I liked it a lot. I, I you know with you know this and you know the latest upon Stone record. I you know damn like a very nice. There's pairing. a big, big, big influx of that style coming back. It's it's there that whole like melodic death metal, melodic black kind of blackened melodic death metal stuff is coming back. And I did not expect this band to sound like this at this point. I kind of expected more of in that same vein, which not bad. I just expected maybe a more refined version of that. Uh, but this was, it's mid-tempo. It sounds like Dismember right out the gate, which maybe I mean, because, yeah, there you go. He, he helped with the recording and the writing. Um, I'm not going to go too long, but uh, New Black Tusk is out. Uh, definitely check that out. Uh, they have a new album called The Way Forward that's coming out. And uh, Pelagius from Nashville, Tennessee, um, which I just Pelagius. dropped. A yep. Pelagius. 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 Uh, I just dropped a review for this. Uh, so definitely check those guys out. It's a self-titled EP out on Total Dissonance Worship. Cool. All right. Well, that's what we've been listening to this week. You can always follow us for any updates on this podcast, as well as our live show, Vocal Distortion, which airs at 6 p.m. every Monday on FM 89. Uh, we also have a riffs on repeat playlist that you can check through the link below. Um, thank you so much for joining. If you liked it, why don't you fucking give us a review or something? That'd be cool. Hey, why not? Uh, it, it helps a long way. We appreciate you listening. We'll be back next week talking about some more riffs. But until then, for Swindle, myself, Dylan, see ya. 
Bye.